0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Great to see you today. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors, and it's my great honor and privilege to welcome you to worship here at Victory Life Church. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to express a very special welcome to you. For those of you joining us online, welcome. If you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, we'd love to connect with you. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can go to our website at vlchurch.com. Look for the banner that says, Are You New Here? Click on that banner, complete the form that pops up on your screen, and I will connect with you sometime this week. For those of you joining us in person, if you'd like to learn more about who we are, you can fill out one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you, and if you would be so kind to take a minute or two afterwards, stop by our Welcome Center out there afterwards, and we have a free gift for you for joining us today, Uh, and uh, we'd love to connect with you sometime this week as well. I have a few announcements for you this morning, the first of which is a reminder. We're going to be having our church uh, annual meeting uh, next Monday, February 26th at 7 p.m. This is a meeting where you get to hear from our leadership team on how we steward uh, the resources that we have here at Victory Life Church to advance the kingdom of God here in this community and around the world. You'll hear from our trustees, our finance director and Pastor Matt about how we use our resources to point people to Jesus here in this community. And also, as you may know, we have several folks who are running for our trustee leadership position. I just heard from our board chair we have three uh, spots that will be filled. Uh, We vote on those roles, and you may have received an email communication sometime this week about the fact that we're going to be doing this at the annual meeting. And if you'd like to read their bios, you can pick up one of the bio forms in our Welcome Center afterwards, and you can learn more about their passion to serve and a trustee role so that you're well-informed as you vote for who uh, will serve in those capacities uh, in the next couple of years. Well, um, I'd also like to make mention of our Pursue Night that's going to be happening in a couple of weeks on Friday night, March 8th at 6.30 p.m. It's a worship night. We're really excited about this, and we've asked you to consider and pray about what you might bring to offer unto the Lord uh, typically, we come and we worship and we pray, and then we, we party afterwards. We have pizza and just have good fellowship. But this time, we're going to do all that stuff. But during the worship experience, uh, we're asking you to think about what you might bring as an offering unto God. It certainly could be a financial offering. It could be some other type of offering. Uh, but be thinking about that be praying about that because that's going to be an essential part of the entire worship experience on Pursue Night, Friday, March 8th. That will start at 630 p.m. Well, that's all I have this morning in the way of reminders and announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings, you likely know how you can do that. You can give online, you can text to give, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithes and offerings. And one note about this, you may have received some snail mail communication and some email communication about the fact that we are going to reinstitute... Um, live offerings where we pass the bag one to another, and that's going to start next week. Uh, We're really excited to incorporate that into our worship experience, so we wanted you to know that, and it's a great opportunity for parents to demonstrate to their little ones that they give as an expression of their worship, and so that will start next Sunday. Wanted to give you a heads up on that particular detail as well. Well, may I ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer together in anticipation of worship this morning. Father in heaven, we've come here today to lift you up. We lift you up because you came down. You came down into this world 2,000 years ago to bring us to yourself. What an amazing thing that you have done. And that is the reason we worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Let's worship today. There's an echoing in the spirit. If you listen closely, you'll hear it. Oh, what a sound is broken shack way to start the day by shouting in the house of the Lord and saying, we're going to worship you. When Jesus was making his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the Pharisees said, shut your disciples up. And he said, absolutely not. If they don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be outpraised by a rock today. All right. <laughs> we're not going to let it happen. We're going to praise him because we actually have a reason to. Even though the Lord will, cre- will redeem all creation, he's already redeemed you. You have a reason. You see, Jesus came to the earth. He died for your sins, that if you ask for forgiveness and believe in him, you'll have eternal life, everlasting life. We have a reason to praise. You know what's even cooler than that? He chose to make his dwelling place right here in our hearts. This is where he's sitting right now. That's amazing. So who else is worthy this morning? No one else is worthy of our praise. There's many things that grab our attention, many things that grab our worship, but no one else is worthy. When you have a creator, God, who's willing to make his home right here, oh man, he is worthy and nothing else is worthy. So let's worship him today. Let's bless him and praise him. Generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages. we lift our our hearts to so many things. There's so many things in this world that we say are worthy. But Lord, when we look at the cross, when we look at your sacrifice, how can we help but say there is none more worthy than you? You are holy, good, good, awesome, be blessed in this place, be honored, there is none more worthy than you. We turn our hearts to you, Lord. We declare this morning that we love you.
2: See
3: Lord Jesus, we honor you today because you first loved us. We love you today because you gave your all for us. We worship you today because we belong to you. And you have called us a chosen priesthood, a royal nation, that we might declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. I pray today that you have been enthroned upon the praises of your people and that we have acted as the nation of priests that you have made us. You are worthy. We love you. And all we do is unto you in this place today amen amen god bless you you may be seated beloved we love because he first loved us the apostle john who witnessed the crucifixion of christ wrote these words in what has come down to us to be known as first john chapter 4 verse 9 and following this is how god showed his love among us He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The love that we're going to declare among ourselves today, we do with bread and a cup to say at one point, the Lord Jesus became an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He covered our sins by his perfect and loving death on the cross. But that is not all. No, that's not all. We also have a hope today, a hope that this sacrifice brings each and every one of us The Apostle John goes on in verse 16 to say, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I'm going to say that again. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how we know love is made complete among us. Here it is. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. That means, because of what Christ has done in our lives, because of his love poured out for us on the cross, the day we see God will not be a day of fear, but of rejoicing. The day you stand before God, you won't be worried about your sins. You'll be basking in the love of Christ. The day you see God, you're not gonna worry about, did I do good enough? You will be convinced that Christ did right, and what was righteous, that's the beauty of our faith, standing before God, not on our own righteousness, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Today, we're going to take communion and celebrate our reliance upon God. And the way we do it at Victory Life is very simple. You can, in just a moment, exit the center aisle towards the middle here, come down and receive the elements. We'd ask you to hold on to those as you make your way back to your seats through the side aisles. And then we'll pray over each one of the elements together if you're physically unable to receive those elements today just raise a hand to about shoulder height and our servers will come and bring those elements to you but today we honor the lord who loved us first the one whom we rely on both in this life and in the life to come as the band sings and as you get your elements today if there's anything that stands between you and the lord any sin that needs confessed do what first john 1 9 taught us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And remind yourself that your relationship with the Lord is the most important thing. Would you stand? Would you come? Would you receive the elements today?
1: It's a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. It speaks righteousness for me and stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your. the blood
3: holding these elements in our hand today i'm reminded of something that i was taught as a young man as a boy even that we're supposed to give our best to god but this bread in our hands today signifies that god gave his best to you that jesus came to this earth and gave his life on your behalf god gave his best to you. This is love. That Jesus came to this earth and lived his life unto God before us, even to the point of death on a cross. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your best, your one and only Son, the only one whose obedience to you was going to be enough. For we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but he knew no sin, yet became sin for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you came to this earth and allowed your body to be broken on our behalf. I pray we would never become familiar with this fact, but we would stand in awe of you always. Let us eat the bread together. The Bible also teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Sin is a serious reality resulting in death. Blood is a serious element which signifies life. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you spilled your blood on our behalf. The most precious substance the world has ever seen was given for us. We thank you that, as the Apostle John said that you became an atoning, a covering sacrifice for our sins. And we're glad today that we get to stand before you righteous and whole because of the blood that Jesus spilled. We thank you for it. Church, let us drink together. For just a moment, Consider all that you've been forgiven for and all the joy that you've known in Christ. And would you pray your own prayer of thanksgiving right in this moment, thanking Jesus for his sacrifice on your behalf. Now unto the Lord on whom we rely, unto the one in whom we place our confidence on the day of judgment, be thanks and praise and glory forever and ever, amen, amen. Well, welcome once again to Victory Life Church this morning. I'm Pastor Matt, and it's going to be my great pleasure to share the Word of God with you this morning. Before we do, I want to remind those who might be newer or newish to Victory Life that there's a little receptacle in the seat back in front of you, specifically designed for communion cups, that you will not have to be encumbered with those for the remainder of the service. So if you want to put yours in your receptacle, and I'm going to use this little monitor thing right here for mine. And uh, I'll clean that up before second service, Rachel, wherever you went. But anyhow... So glad that you're here. Uh, Before the children are dismissed for Children's Church this morning, I want to do a bit of VLC housekeeping with you and announce a change in our worship services as we move forward. Uh, For those of you who are on our members and regular attenders mailing list, you would have received a letter this week detailing all of this. If you are not on that list for whatever reason, either one, we don't know that you consider yourself a regular attender, or uh, perhaps uh, you've had a change of address and we're not aware of it, we do have letters available for you on your way out this morning. The ushers will have those in their hands that explain what I'm about to talk about more fully. But we are going to experience a change in our worship service starting next Sunday, which is really just a return to what we would call normalcy, in that we are going to, beginning next week, take a live offering. As part of our worship service Uh, for since COVID began we've had a little basket or a bucket or a box outside the sanctuary that says uh, offerings and the reason we started doing that was simply because when COVID started no one wanted to share germs with other humans I still don't want to share germs with other humans but we thank God today that the power of COVID has waned and the power of Purell has remained the same and so When we do anything as a church, especially in regards to worship, it should match our theology. And our theology is is that giving and worship is not crass, it's a blessing. It's a way to celebrate the Lord together, and it has been since the dawn of, of time when God began to pull his people out of Egypt and set them up in the Promised Land. We give and we worship in giving together. And so this uh, thought started about a year ago, and we began to think about, well, you know, we're not really suffering financially. I mean, in fact, our, our gifts has grown as a church every single year, even since COVID. So this isn't hurting us, but the question was not a question of finances. It was a question of worship. We learned two weeks ago that giving is worship, and we believe it's powerful to model together that we give towards a Lord and a common cause together, and we do this together as a church. So that's why we're going to start taking a live offering again starting next week. Now, one of the uh, big drawbacks to that, not drawbacks, but maybe one of the things we had to consider was a lot of people give online, a lot of people don't carry checks, and a lot of people don't carry cash anymore. And we don't want to preclude you from that. That's not at all uh, a detraction from your worship. And if that's the way you give unto God, more power to you, and we're glad that you do that. But we do have young people in this room who giving unto God needs to be normalized for. We do have young believers in this room who giving unto God needs to be normalized for, that we can say this is a collective act of worship. And so that's why we're gonna do this. And I thought to myself, well, what does that mean for me? I don't carry cash and my wife carries the checkbook, so what do I do that is actually worship? And I thought to myself, you know, I haven't yet pulled my kids aside on those days that we tithe and give offerings online and say, hey, this is what we're doing. But I've also thought as a collective act of worship, How important it would be for me to bring a gift before the Lord each and every Sunday. So I'm going to begin to do that. I'm going to begin to be intentional about that. Something above my regular giving to say, I'm worshiping with my church today. And this is a valuable act of worship. You might say, is is that for us to see? No, if you knew what offerings I was going to bring every week, you might be embarrassed for me. So it's not that at all. It's not for you to see. But starting in second service, there'll be three young boys sitting to my right. And they're going to see that their daddy gives unto the Lord. And that's going to want them to want to give unto the Lord. It's going to make them want to model what daddy's modeled and do what daddy does. And so that's why we're doing this. We want to model the right things to the people around us. Are we always going to do it this way? I don't know. But for now, we as leadership felt that it was worthy of consideration that our worship matches our theology. And that's why we're going to take a live offering again starting next week. That's all I have for you is by way of housekeeping, so at this time, young disciples, you may be dismissed and head on down the hall to get a message on your level. There's a pinch hitter today, and I know you're going to enjoy Micah. He's, he is ready for you. Hey, old disciples, if you have your Bibles, will you turn in them to Luke chapter 7? That's where we're going to be this morning as we begin a series on worship. Fully formed disciples worship the Lord. How many of you watched the Super Bowl last Sunday? Did you you at least turn it on for five minutes? There was a commercial that took place during the Super Bowl. It was one of those He Gets Us commercials. Have you seen those? Where someone's trying to portray portray an aspect of Jesus that maybe the world doesn't recognize. And it had all of these people who would normally be, in our minds, political or social enemies washing each other's feet. And then at the end end of of the ad, it says, Jesus washed feet. And I thought... Okay. Yes, he did. And I'm not judging the advertisement. I'm not thinking anything about the commercial whatsoever. But I was kind of interested in how the world would perceive that. So I went to one of my favorite websites that has sports and pop culture, and there it was. And the question was, what was that ad all about? So this secular writer, a non-Christian writer, wrote, that ad was simply weird. Why? Because there's absolutely no context for Jesus washing feet, right? That was just weird to a non Christian, somebody who'd never read John chapter 13. Why would the Lord of the universe, even if you believe that he was the Lord of the universe, wash feet? Now, we as Christians were like, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, that's just beautiful. He washed his disciples' feet, and that was expected at the time, but it wasn't expected of him because he was the master, he was the Lord, and he showed humility, and he was demonstrating that he would do anything for them, and he was going to die for them, so he would wash their feet in service, and we should love each other that way. We Christians are like, that's beautiful. And the world's like, what? Jesus washed feet. You know, when I was growing up, one of the greatest questions in the church was, are we relevant? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm rounding the bend into my fourth decade, and that was the great question of the 90s. The church was considered irrelevant, and so when we said we want to be relevant, one of our goals was to not be weird. We don't want to be seen as weird or construed as weird. But I want to tell you, so many of you are weird, and the church is, is, is not going not gonna to change in its weirdness based on you or me. What I'm concerned about as a pastor and we're coming into this new era where I think relevancy is being replaced in the church world by authenticity, It is the question not is what we do weird, is what we do authentic and biblical. Not not is what we do relevant, but is what we do biblical, and is it it honest and authentic towards God? Well, here's the thing about worship. Any expression of true worship to the non-believer will look weird. I'm going to say that again. Any Christian expression of worship that is in the scriptures that God finds acceptable and normative isn't going to look normal to the outside world. But I have a bigger concern, and it's not about the outside world. I'm concerned that within the American church today, we call weird what God calls acceptable. That's my concern. We call weird what God calls acceptable forms of worship. Our worship will never be acceptable by the world standards. The way that we honor God physically, corporally with our bodies will never make sense to the unbelieving mind. But to those who know Christ, my concern is that we're often looking at the worship of others and going, that's weird, I don't, I don't like that in my church. That's different, I'm not going to engage in that, even though the person down the pew might feel comfortable. And we don't ask ourselves the important question. And the important question is this, am I actually a worshiper? That's the important question that's going to mark this era of Christianity, not is their worship weird or is my worship weird or the way they relate to the Lord weird. The only real question is, if a fully formed disciple is a worshiper, am I actually one of them? So today I want to take you to the weirdest story of worship in scripture. Sometimes I like weird now, I'm going to tell you this. When you go through the workshop, our tell-the-story element of our mission, when we talk about evangelizing the world, I don't want Christians to be weird. If you're weird in your neighborhood, stop it. If you're weird in your, in, your, in, your, in your workplace, stop it. If you're weird in your school, cut it out. We're trying to win people to Jesus, not weird them out. But I'm going to say something to you. I'm going to, I'm going to play my hand right here. Bloop. There's my hand. It's okay to be weird in church as long as it's biblical and acceptable forms of worship unto the Lord. So I ask you again, are you a worshiper? Let's see if the scripture can help inform us of that today. We're in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 and following, one of the weirdest stories of worship in all of scripture. It says this in verse 46, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus, answering his thoughts, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Jesus said a certain moneylender had two debtors, one who owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. An incredible story, one that I had plenty of questions about when I was a lad. When I read this story or heard this story in Sunday school, I'm like, none of this makes sense. Because even though the Bible describes her for being at his, at his feet behind him, I'm imagining a dinner party, and I can't figure out for the life of me why this woman would crawl under the dining room table. That, that, that for me was the non-starter. This story absolutely cannot be true. But here's what's taking place. Let me, let's see if we can break this down, and hopefully we can do it in, 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 a, in, a, in a fast fashion. In the ancient world, there was something called a symposium. We have them today at colleges and universities. But the concept of a symposium in the ancient world was this. When there was an important dinner party going on in town, everybody from the town was invited to come after dinner and listen to the discussion. So in essence, when the leading figures of the town got together and maybe a guest came to town, as Jesus has come here to the city of Nain, that then it would be normal for you after that dinner party to go and stand behind the table and listen to the conversation of all the smart and influential people. Now you say, I would never do something like that. Well, you have streaming services. You have Xboxes and and, and Nintendo Switches and Clive Custler books. You have all types of things to amuse you. This was the ancient world. This was about as important and entertaining as it got. This is better than a Cavs game for these people. They're going to go and they're going to listen to this discussion about the law or about politics or about God. So that's why there would have been people here at this dinner party. Secondly, you have this question of how did her tears hit his feet unless she crawled under the table? Where in the ancient world, this ancient symposium, what you did is you sat at a U-shaped table and you reclined on pillows at a low table with your left arm at the table and your feet out behind you. And so they're not sitting at dining room chairs, they're leaning like this. So to be standing behind him is literally to be standing behind the table and at his feet. But the most important question is this, why is she there? Not how did her tears hit his feet, because that's easily figured out by just looking at cultural context. Why is she there? Because she is certainly the unworthy woman of the story. That's who she is. We are told that she is a sinner. By every commentator's estimation, when we see the words attributed to her throughout this story, it is clear that she is a prostitute by trade. Therefore, she is unworthy to be there, and she's certainly unworthy to touch Jesus. She would have been a social outcast. This is a dinner party where God's people would have been keeping kosher, she would have been looked upon that night not only as the social outcast that she was, but to a, at a dinner party as a contagion. She is the four-year-old sneezing in the applesauce. She is a problem. She ought not be there by any stretch of the imagination. She defiles the dinner by her very presence, so why is she there? The reason that she's there is the reason for the tears She's there literally because Jesus is there. She is allowed into this house, not because Simon the host wants her there, but Jesus the guest has not asked her to leave. I say that on the authority of the scripture that we've seen so far in chapter seven, where Jesus is being questioned because he's the friend of sinners. People are concerned that Jesus hangs out with the wrong people. Because he literally did. He hung out with people, even though he kept the law, that didn't keep the law. He hung out with people that that by all of our standards are social outcasts. She certainly would have been a social outcast because not only was prostitution wrong by all standards of all time, but she would have been a social outcast even more so in this particular culture because she was using her sexuality in a way that was so disordered according to the plan of God. Now, we live in a different era where we understand the concepts of human trafficking. We understand that you can get sold into this type of lifestyle. The ancient world was not near as forgiving. She was a contagion. She was a social outcast. And she was proof positive that the enemy can disorder even the good things in life. Yet Jesus does not ask her to leave. She is there as his guest. And therefore, tears ensue. Because everywhere she would go and every interaction she would have would be like this. Every good, godly person who she interacted with, if they saw her on one side of the street, would cross to another. She was welcomed in no one's home. Yet she followed Jesus into this dinner party that night because he was a friend of sinners and he doesn't ask her to leave. And that's why she's still there that would be a source of overwhelm. That's a reason for tears. We don't know how long she was in this vocation or how long she'd been an outcast in society. What we can be certain of is that she'd always been asked to leave. Tears. And as these tears hit his feet, on some level she must have thought to herself, this is unseemly. I've wet his feet with my tears. And so she does what any of us would do. Good, some of you are still listening. She goes into this position of, of, of humility, undoes her hair, and begins to wipe up his wet feet with her tears. If someone was hitting my feet with their tears, I'd be like, ew, be gone. Sorry that you're sad. But Jesus is allowing this entire thing to play out. And and what's more natural than if you're going to dry his feet with your tears, this man who has not rejected you, what's more natural than beginning to kiss feet? Thank you for the one chuckle. It's not natural, that unseemly gross part of the body. Yuck. Yuck. Yet here she is overwhelmed by not being cast from the presence of Jesus. She begins to kiss his feet, and Jesus says later on, she hasn't ceased doing that. And at no point does Jesus say, cut it out. This is weird worship. We would have kicked this person out of church already. We better get out of here. That is weird. Weird with a capital W. That's not okay. But, but Jesus doesn't say anything. And as if that was not enough, Luke describes the ointment for us. Women of the ancient Near East carried a jar about a necklace that was full of ointment from alabasteros, the place where this alabaster stone would have been hewed. And in that would have been a perfume laced with myrrh, one of the most expensive spices on earth. In women of the ancient Near East, they did not have wealth. There was no middle class. This was their wealth. And this alabaster jar of ointment was their dowry. Now, none of you probably went into your marriage with a dowry. If you did, your husband was probably thrilled. But a dowry is the financial gift that a wife brings into a marriage. Yet she opens her dowry and anoints the feet of Jesus with it. Undoubtedly, her most precious possession is wasted on feet. Told you it was weird. Unbelievable level of humiliation for this woman. And Jesus doesn't stop her, but we have to get back to that. We do have somebody in the crowd who thinks he's worthy. His name's Simon. He's hosting the dinner party. Simon is like, oh, gross. He doesn't even, he's no prophet. He doesn't even know that that gross prostitute is touching him. And when Jesus discerns that these are Simon's thoughts, what does he do? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Say it, teacher. (laughs) Two things you never want to say. Teach me, Lord. (laughs) Second, teach me humility, Lord. But Simon says, say it, teacher. He says, look at this woman. And we can skip over the parable because we'll get to this point. I think you've already seen it. Just look at this woman. She's not a commentary on herself, she's a commentary on you. Her worship is a commentary on you. You see, I came into your house and you didn't offer me water for my feet, and that's just what you did in the ancient world. You didn't offer me a, a kiss on the cheek, that's what you did in the ancient world. You didn't offer me oil for my head. You offered me nothing of the sort, and those were the social niceties of the day. Here's the problem with that. Anybody who was the first people to read this in the ancient Near East, the first people to read this in the Greek world, they would have been overwhelmed at the actions of the woman. They would have gone like, whoa, whoa, weird. But when they heard what Simon did, they would have gone, oh, what a jerk. What a jerk because he couldn't even honor Jesus by normal conventions. She goes great lengths humiliating herself to honor Jesus. He can't even honor Jesus with normal con- conventions. And if you're, if you're uh, uh, don't consider yourself a Christian today, or if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new to this whole thing, this next statement is not for you because you would have no reason to worship Jesus at this point. But for those of you who call yourself Christian, I wonder if sometimes you limit your worship like Simon limits his. He can't even honor Jesus through normal conventions. Even normal acts of worship are too weird for him. I'm concerned about that, even, even normal acts of honor. So Jesus says, you know here's the difference between her and you, Simon, She knows she's not righteous, and you think that you are. She knows she doesn't have it all together, and you think that you do. But we haven't really answered the great scandal of the day. Jesus has told us why she did what she did. Jesus has outed Simon as the jerk of the story, but he hasn't told us the most important thing. Why didn't he stop her? Because it is weird. And the reason he doesn't stop her is simple. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of that level of worship. If he wasn't, he would have stopped her. And I think this is what we miss, asking ourselves the questions of, are we really true worshipers, worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth? The way Jesus told another woman was the goal. We're never asking ourselves if, if we're worshiping in a way that shows that Jesus is worthy. We're simply asking ourselves: Are we worshiping in a way that we prefer and is proprietous? I'll say that again. We're not asking ourselves if we're worshiping Jesus in a way, in which he it is worthy for us to worship him. We're, we're just asking ourselves: Are we worshiping in a way that that is my preference, and full of worldly propriety. But I don't care if you start in the book of Genesis and see Abraham building an altar to an unseen God, or if you go all the way to the end of the New Testament in Revelation and every single creature on earth is bowing down before the Lamb. But worship is never proprietous by human standards. And worship has nothing to do with the preferences of people. It has everything to do with the worth of God. This woman knew the worth of Jesus because he was the only one who could forgive her sins. Even before the cross, the very authority that emanated from his person allowed her to know that he was worthy of this level of worship. Her worship was proof that she understood his worth, that he was the one who could forgive her and give her new life, and life eternal. And of course, he says these remarkable words to her, words that are just shocking by any standard of theology. Go in peace, your faith has saved you. As if she somehow worked to achieve her salvation. But we can be certain that she did not. We could be certain of what we just said. The way that she worshiped demonstrated that she knew his worth. And it is his worth upon which our salvation is based. So I ask you, my friends, my church family, do you currently worship in a way that demonstrates his immeasurable worth? That's what makes us worshipers in spirit and in truth. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we celebrate it today in this very place that you've forgiven our sins and you've given us life eternal, no fear in death, and a God who walks with us through this life. We are saved, we are made righteous we are given a new start, and we're given hope of eternity. So the only question that remains is if we worship you as the Lord who's done all that, or if our worship is limited to our own preferences and what we feel is proprietors. Oh, Lord, I pray over the next few weeks as a church You would search our hearts. You would move in our hearts. May we stop wondering and worrying about what is odd or weird, because worship will be. But instead, may we ponder your worth, which will allow us to worship you in spirit and in truth once more. So today, brothers and sisters, Would you ask that question of the Lord in prayer? Would you say to him in the next few moments, Lord, am I calling weird what is normal? Am I honoring you just a little when I could be honoring you with my everything? And is the way that I currently worship a a signifying your worth? Or is the way in which I'm currently worshiping something that's still about me. Would you just ask him those questions today and ask him to speak to you? Let's make this place a house of prayer for just a moment.
1: jar is all I have of worth. I break it at your feet, Lord. It's less than you deserve. You're far more beautiful, more precious than the oil. The sum of my desire and the fullness of my joy. Because you spilled your blood. I'll give my heart as an offering to my King. So here I am, take me as an offering. I am take me as in all.
3: Lord, I trust today that you are speaking. Oh, Lord, allow us to be immeasurably aware of your worth and allow us to be people who get outside of ourselves to acknowledge that worth. For the people who worship you will speak of you. And the people who speak of you will speak of your gospel. And your gospel is the reason that we worship. We pray, Lord, over the next few weeks, you would change our collective hearts. Remind us that we are the forgiven. And eliminate any Simons. For you are worthy. We ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen amen. God bless you. Would you stand with us if you are able? Lots of good things to look forward to in the coming weeks as a church. We hope you'll participate with us on the 26th of February at our annual meeting and, of course, our Pursue Night where we worship the Lord together and just take some time of extended prayer and worship. But until we meet again, God bless you. We'll see you next week.